Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and thank you for the privilege of opening your heart to us as we just sit down and read the Word of God and pray and worship together. What a privilege to be in your home every morning to just talk about Jesus. Today I want to start with Psalms chapter 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High (laughs) will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, we don't say this to everybody else, the things we need to say to God. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. How many times has this thing began? I encourage you to lift both hands and just say, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is something every morning you need to do. All during this disaster, all during this disaster, All during this COVID-19, every morning you lift your hands. My refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness, not not your, your faithfulness, his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, we come to you this morning. You are our refuge. You are our rock. You are our fortress. You are the God in which we trust. Lord, we don't trust in our own faithfulness. We don't trust in our own righteousness. We are so grateful, Father, that we have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we're so thankful, Father, that even when we're faithless, you are faithful. Lord, we come and we humble our hearts before you in these days. Lord, we ask for your hand of mercy, your hand of compassion upon every one of our families. Glorify yourself in our lives, Lord. Let the world around us see that there is a God in heaven sitting on his throne. Let them see the reality of blessings and prosperity that flow to us. Let them see your protection upon our lives and upon our families. Let them see no plague coming near our dwelling place. Father, we don't ask this to boost ourselves, but for your name's sake, Lord, you have promised for the honor and the glory of your name, Father. Let there be strength and health within our lives and our bodies. Let there be blessings that flow to us. All the work of our hands, let them be blessed. Let our people prosper in their careers, prosper in their businesses, prosper in everything they set their hand to. 
Let the world see the distinction between the just and the unjust and bring glory to your name. Let the world see that there is a God who is alive and real, that you're not just some fairy tale that people believe in because they're weak on their insides. Oh, Father, this world needs to see the reality of God. We know they have no right. We know that all creation has declared your glory. But Father, in your mercy, in your mercy for our beloved nation, in your mercy, open their eyes to see. In your mercy, do this sign and do this wonder. The sign and wonder of protection upon your people. The sign and wonder of provision for your people in the midst of these awful days. Glorify your name, Father. Lord, I pray for all the frontliners this morning. Father, especially those that work in the hospital. They see this stuff every day. From those that screen to the entrances to those that care for the patients. I thank you that your angels... The ministering spirits give it unto the heirs of salvation. I thank you that your angels guard us in all of our ways. Keep your hand upon your people today, Father. As we go to work, as we sit on the jeepneys, the buses, as we sit on the LRTs and the MRTs, Father, keep your hand upon us. Oh, glorify your name. And Father, give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in praise and worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. And let's hope we've got all the pen adjustments and I've disconnected the Surface dial and I've adapted the pen adjustments in OneNote and in the Microsoft Surface and new batteries. Let's see if this has got my problems fixed. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring. All right, so we have a promise. So this is what we're talking about is a promise. And the promise is to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, I want you to notice the conduit of a promise. The conduit or pipeline of a promise is not through the law because there was no law yet. Abraham did not receive the promise because of the obedience to the law. There was no law yet. But the conduit of the promise instead came through the righteousness of faith. So the conduit of the promise is not the law, but the conduit of the promise is through the righteousness of faith. So please, brothers and sisters, you need to understand, God doesn't flow promises to us because of obedience to the law. God flows his promises to us because of the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Wow. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. There's no, no revelation of transgression. There's no revealing of it. That's why it depends, there's a key word, on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and may be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Jew and Gentile. Now, when we teach this in the Roman series at night, this is something that you're going to have to get a hold of. The promises, all of the promises of God. They depend on grace. <laughs> I absolutely love that. They depend. Ah, they depend on grace. Now, brothers and sisters, you need to understand how important that is. If the promises depended on obedience to every law, none of us would ever receive the promises. The promises do not flow to our lives. Whether it's this promise to Abraham for all of Abraham's blessings, the promises do not flow to our lives because we obey the law. The promises depend on faith in order that they may rest on grace. I love that. So if these are the promises, the platform that the promises rest on is called grace. <laughs> I love it. I could preach for an hour on that, as it is written. I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, now that's God. God gives life to the dead 
And God calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is, this is the power of the voice of God. He gives life to death. Only God can give life. And this is the only God. Every, you, you have to understand this one. Only God. Only God can give life to death. And only God can call into existence things that do not exist. Man are not creators. Angels are not creators. Angels cannot give life. Demons, Satan himself, is not a creator. Satan cannot give life. Only God can give life. In hope, hope is the confident expectation of future good. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, what a mouthful, and what a mouthful that we need to look at right now. I like the, NI, the NIV translation. It says, when he faced the facts, he did not weaken in his faith. When he sat down and thought about, you know what? I'm 100 years old. I'm impotent. That thing hasn't worked for a while. My wife is 100 years old. Her womb is dry. There's no way. She's not producing eggs anymore. She's not fertile anymore. When he looked at the impossibility of his own body and his wife's own body, he wasn't just 50% this can't be done. It was both sides, 100%, it can't be done. But he did not weaken in his faith. He faced facts and did not weaken in his faith. Now look at that. He faced facts without weakening in faith. Now that's a mouthful. You see, Christianity is not anti-science. Christianity is not anti-logic. We don't stick our head in the sand like a proverbial ostrich and pretend that these things aren't real. We, we face facts. But when we face the facts, no distrust makes us waver. We, we, we choose to trust God. See, there are two sets of facts. There's science, and then there's the word. Now, we face the science and we choose to believe. Now, it's just that simple. Some of you are looking at things right now and the facts are terrible. Okay, face those facts. Don't pretend that they're not there. Okay, I have no money. Okay, I don't know what to do. Okay, yeah, I face the facts. But God promised there's a truth that is higher than science. I hear so many people today talking, believe the science, believe the science, believe the science. We must believe the science. Science is not a religion to have faith in. Either science is science or it's not. Either it's, it's, it's a logical fact of this world, a natural truth, or it's not. I don't need to have faith in it. 
I'll just say, okay, those are the facts. The sun is shining. I don't need faith to see that the sun is shining. It's a logical fact. But if God says the sun is going to step back 14 steps, ah, I will choose to believe God. Yes, the, the science will say there is a cancer in your body. I look at the, the MRI. Yeah, they're right. There's a, there's a cancer in my body. Okay, I accept that. But there's a promise by his stripes, I have been healed. Now, now, this is a different realm that you step into. See, Christians always want to pretend like these things don't exist. And they use positive confession almost like a mantra chant to, to try and convince themselves of positive thinking. Faith is not positive thinking like a mantra chant. Faith is a choice of trust. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Now, if you don't have a promise, there's nothing to, to trust in, okay? Concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith, and here's a key word, as he gave glory to God. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a revelation you need to get a hold of. Some of you are in hard times right now, and this, this verse is just screaming truth at you. All right, you face the facts. The, the, these are the facts. I, I accept the facts, okay? I will stipulate to the facts, as a lawyer once said. Okay, I will stipulate to the facts. I, I agree with the facts. But now there's a promise. And concerning the promise, I will not waver. And how will I grow strong in my faith and not waver? Giving glory to God. As he gave glory to God. Worship is so important. When you're in a fight of faith, when your heart is being pulled and you're, you're starting to be double-minded, the way that you deal with that is just lean back and lift your heart upon your hands to the Lord and give glory to, oh, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Now, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. <laughs> See, you give glory to God, why? Because you're fully convinced. You don't have to be convinced. You don't have to have somebody convince you every day. You are fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. This is the faith of Abraham. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He's fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. But the words that was counted to him are not written for his sake alone. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, again, look at those words carefully. He said, listen, you're saved the same way Abraham is saved, by believing in him, by believing in God the Father. Counted to us who believe in him, referring to God the Father, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. So Jesus did die. People like to act like he did not die. Jesus did die. And Jesus died for us. He was delivered up for our trespasses. And Jesus did rise again for our justification. His you see, the death, the sufferings and death of Jesus took care of the penalty of our sin. The resurrection is new life. 
the resurrection deals with, okay, all the old has passed away. Everything's brand new. You're just as if you never sinned. Now, chapter five, verse one. And I'm sorry, I forgot to put all that screen up for you earlier. Chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, all right, the source of peace, Jesus. The effect of justification, peace with God. Now remember, peace simply means lack of conflict. There is no conflict between me and God. There's no problem. I can come boldly into the throne room of God. There is no problem between me and God. How can you say that, Pastor? Because we have been justified by faith, just as if we've never sinned. When you come into the presence of God, when you come boldly before the throne of God, justified by faith, it is as if there's never been a sin in your life. You come perfect into the presence of God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these are revelations you need to get a hold of because have you, have you ever noticed that when you You've done something to somebody, you feel ashamed. When you've said bad things about somebody, you feel a little ashamed to come into their presence, and you're a little reticent to speak, and you you hold back because you know that there's things wrong between you. There's nothing wrong between you and God. <laughs> this is why Paul later says, we are free from accusation. There's nothing wrong. There's no conflict between you and God. You can come boldly into this throne room and present your requests. Ah, God is good. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, my goodness, what a mouthful. Okay, so we have access by faith into grace. Grace is a foundation. No, let's not say grace is a foundation. Let's say grace... Grace is a giant pit that can never be filled. And you and I, now you know I can't write, let alone draw. You and I have access into, into this grace in which we stand. I'm standing in a pool of grace. <laughs> and you know what? I want that, I want it to be right up over the top of my head. I'm standing in a pool of grace in which we now stand. Now, you stand in the grace of God. You don't stand in your own righteousness. You don't stand in your, in your own abilities and your own strength. You stand in this pool of grace. And we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in the confident expectation of future good. Why do we always have this confident expectation of future good? Because I'm standing in grace. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? How can I rejoice in sufferings? Because you're standing in a pool of grace, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
and hope does not put us to shame. Now, when we get to that in the Roman series in the evenings, that is a beautiful package to unpack. Right now, hard times are producing endurance in you. You're learning that you can keep going. You're learning that you're not going to die. You're learning endurance. Now, that endurance is producing something in you, character. You see, when, when you don't bend and you don't bow and you don't compromise in the hard times, you endure. Character is produced. Ah, and character produces hope. Now, now this is something you, you just got to get a hold of. People who have broken characters, people whose character is deformed, okay? They're, they're bad people, they're liars, they're cheats, they're stealers. These people are not people of hope. Now, they might talk a good game, but they're not people of hope. And hope does not put us to shame. This confident expectation of future good that we walk around with will not put us to shame. We're not going to be disappointed. Because, why does hope not disappoint us? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if this is your heart, God's love is being poured into your heart. Have you ever just sat in a service one time and were overwhelmed with the love of God? Have you ever been in a difficult time? I, I remember a, a pastor that I had known fallen horribly into sin broken marriage, oh, just made a mess of his life. And when he finally got right with God, he came to me and he said, now, David, you're not going to believe this. He said, but I sit in a service now and I am more overwhelmed with the love of God than I have ever been in my whole life. I said, I believe that. Now, it's, it's not that we sin so that we can experience this. Please don't get me wrong. But I just want you to understand that some of you, you've made horrible messes of your life. And when you humble yourself and you repent, and God gives you access, and you stand in grace. Oh, I like that. And you stand in grace. That There's hope that finally comes out of that. And then the love of God gets poured into your heart. Don't be surprised. And don't be surprised at your darkest hour Three o'clock in the morning, you don't know what you're going to do the next day. Don't be surprised as, have you, as you lift your heart upon your hands before the Lord. If God doesn't just pour hope down into your heart. Ah. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So God's perfect time. God's time. Jesus did not come when we think it would be best. Jesus came at the right time. And at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now notice, for the ungodly. This is the, substitution, the substitutionary death of Jesus. Jesus was the, the atonement. He, he took our place. He died for us. For scarcely, for will, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He said, I didn't wait for you to become a good person. I gave my son to die for you when you were bad people. That is a revelation of God's love. 
That is a manifestation of God's love. He continues, Since therefore you have been justified in his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the saved by him from the wrath of God? All right. So I'm justified by his blood. I'm just as if I never sinned by the blood of Jesus. He said, how much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? So people say, Pastor Sumrall, uh, will, we, will we go through the great tribulation? No, there's something called the rapture. Also called the blessed hope. We have not been appointed under wrath. We will be saved from the wrath. You know, I hear people saying, oh, we're in the middle of the tribulation. <laughs> Believe me. What you see right now with this COVID-19 is nothing compared to the great tribulation. Okay, this is this is this is kindergarten compared to the great tribulation. When the wrath of God comes upon this world, but we're saved from it. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, I like that, reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? I love that. We're reconciled to God, and we're saved by his life. We're reconciled by death, and now we're saved by life. Now, there's a big contrast there. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So reconciliation, this is a big truth that we need to get a hold of. We are reconciled to God, okay? We have, and reconciliation is something that is received, not worked for. There is no reconciliation meeting, okay? <laughs> there's, there's no meeting. There, there's no reconciliation meeting that is done. We are just we receive it as a gift. Reconciliation is a gift. Our, our reconciliation with God is a gift. Our Old Testament passage today picks up in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 32. After these things, these acts of faithfulness, that's beautiful, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Now, he thought wrong, so I make a little note over here. He thought wrong. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and mighty men to stop the water springs that were outside the city. And they helped him. All right. So even though God's going to help, you still need a plan. Now, his plan was to stop up the water springs. Okay. There's no water for Sennacherib's army outside Jerusalem. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped up all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up the wall that was broken down and raised towers on it. And he also built another wall and strengthened the Milo in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. All right, his plan was to deprive water. His plan dealt with water. And his plan was also the walls and weapons. 
So just because God's going to help you doesn't mean that you don't make a plan. I mean, I, I watch people say, oh, God will help us. And well, what are you doing? Nothing, because God will help me. Well, but you need to, you need to think about what you need to do. No, God will help me. Well, you know, Jesus did say, roll away the stone. Jesus raised the guy from the dead, but Jesus, Jesus could have just gone, nope, and the stone would have rolled away. God never does 100% of a miracle. God does what he can do, which is the supernatural, and you and I do what we can do, which is the natural. He set combat commanders over the people. He set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square of the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, okay? Now, this is how you prepare for battle. This is how a leader prepares for battle. You don't just get the facilities ready. You get the people ready. You can't just get all the weapons and the shields and build up the towers and the walls and plug up the water. All of that needs to be done, but you also need to get the people ready. He spoke encouragingly to them. And he said, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, don't be dismayed before king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than are with him. <laughs> now you go, excuse me, he's counting on God. He's counting on God and his angels. There are more with us than are with him. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. Now, did you hear that? With him is the arm of flesh, but with us, that is a beautiful truth. With us is the Lord our God. And what is God going to do with us? He's going to help us and he's going to help and to fight our battles. Now, there's two things God does. Two things God does. He helps us and fights our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah. All right, so a leader still having trouble with my pen here. A leader's words bring confidence. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is, Hezekiah, is not Hezekiah misleading you, that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst? Excuse me, we blocked up your water jugs, guys. When he tells you the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. <laughs> this guy tells people, Hezekiah, your king, is lying to you when he tells you to trust in God. That's a good way to get God's attention. Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places, his altars? No. He took away the demon high places and the demon altars. But see... Sennacherib didn't understand the difference. 
He didn't understand what Hezekiah was doing was pleasing God. And commanded Judah and Jerusalem before one altar you shall worship and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. He saw this as a bad thing. God saw this as a good thing. So the world never understands things of God. The world never understands the things of God. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their hand, their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my father devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Excuse me, uh, false gods. Real God. <laughs> he is about to learn the difference between false gods and real gods. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion. And do not believe him, for no God of any nation has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? <laughs> Again, false gods, real God. And his servant still said more against the Lord and against his servant Hezekiah. And he wrote letters to cast contempt upon the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it in a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and to terrify them in order that they might take the city. Now again, Folks, you have to understand, people shout bad things to cause fear. They, they shouted all these things in a language everybody could understand to make them stop believing in God. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the people of the earth which are the work of men's hands, okay? <laughs> False gods. False gods, real God. Then Hezekiah, the king, of Is the king, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, they prayed because of this. Response? To people speaking against God, you pray. You don't go. You don't go debate with people. You don't go and present your apologetics to people. You pray. When people speak against God, you pray. And the Lord sent an angel. Now, just notice one angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him and he died there with the sword. Now notice, God sent one angel. <laughs> Not the host of heaven, 
one angel and defeated this whole army. One angel. And you know what? It wouldn't surprise me that God sent a little angel. <laughs> so the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the, from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all of his enemies. And he provided for them. I like that. He provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord, to Jerusalem, and precious things to Hezekiah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. Now, would, would you look at that? People's response. The world's response. The world saw. The world saw the real God. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord. And he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. Now, he did not make return according to the benefit done to him. Folks, be thankful. Now, this is a sermon in itself, and I won't even begin to get into all of it. But please let me encourage you. When, when God does a benefit to you, make a return. <laughs> Come and say thank you. Come and bow before. I love it when, when members come down. and We can't do it right now with this COVID-19 thing. But when our people would come down to the altar for prayer, I loved it when they came back. And they would walk up to me and say, Pastor, God answered my prayer. My Lola is healed. Pastor, God answered my prayer. I'm healed. Pastor, God answered my prayer. I'm out of financial problems. Pastor, God answered my prayer. I got my promotion. They come, and I say, well, how can I pray for you? Pastor, I just came to say thank you. Always have a heart of gratitude for what God has done for you. You see, it's pride that makes you ungrateful. You know, there's a, a thing that I've noticed in people's lives and I, I've learned it very slowly and very painfully. Have you ever noticed the people you help the most hurt you the most? They turn on you the most? Have you ever noticed that? And I'll tell you what it is. When people are not thankful, there's pride in their hearts. And that pride, everything you do for them makes them resent you more. Everything you do for them makes them more bitter against you. You need to go meditate on that one for a while. But Hezekiah humbled himself from the pride of his heart. Good man. Okay, you really screwed up, but then you humble yourself. Some of you, please forgive me. You've been proud. Humble yourself. Okay? God is a merciful God. But Hezekiah humbled himself with the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. He made for himself treasuries of silver, for gold, for precious stones, spices, shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. Likewise, he provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. Now notice, God is the source. God had given him, just like God gives to you and God gives to me. 
The same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and redirected them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land. All right. Everybody wants to hear. <laughs> Everybody wants to hear. Everybody wants to hear that sign of a Sennacherib. God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now, we know the story from the other passages. He got proud and he showed everything he had to these princes of Babylon, and that brought an attack. He got proud again. But notice the phrase, God left him to himself in order to test him. You know, I've, I've watched God do this in my own life. I've watched God do this in other people's lives. Sometimes God just backs up a little bit and says, now, let's see what's really in your heart. Now, I, I love to be led by the Spirit, but you know, there are times that God leaves us to ourselves in order to test us, to know all that is in our hearts. Now, he already knows what's in our hearts, but in the test, we see what's in our hearts. Now, let me explain to you the test this way. Have you ever taken a class and you thought, I've got this material down solid? I can remember walking into a statistical analysis class my first year in university. And I thought I had that material down pat. Well, when I took the first practice exam, because, you know, we were first year students and he gave us a practice exam before this was our first exam of the school year. He said, we're we going to have a practice. You know what? I would have gotten a C on that thing. I would not have prepared for the final exam. I would not have prepared for midterms. I would have thought, I got this down pat. That's called pride. And I would have messed up the class and lost my, my, my grade point average. But in that test, I got to see what I really was like. I got to see what I really knew. Sometimes God backs up a little bit to test us. He knows what's in our heart. But sometimes in our pride, we overestimate ourselves. And we need to see what's in our heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah, the prophet of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. Chapter 33, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. All right, so we have a long term. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So this was worse than, than Jeroboam's sins. This was worse than the ten tribes. He went, he, he, he went back to all the demon gods. So he returned He returned to the demon gods. For he rebuilt the high places his father had broken down. Amazing. Hezekiah brought great revival. And his son, Grabetalega. So this is, this is what we call a bad king. 
This is a bad king. He built he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So he worshipped and served. One. He worshipped. We'll get the pen working here in a minute. He worshipped and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall be my name forever. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Now, can you imagine that? He polluted the temple. He brought demons into God's house. Now, brothers, sisters, this is something that you have to realize. You are always going to find Satan wants to destroy God's house. Satan wants to occupy God's house. Do you remember Satan's famous I wills? I will sit on the throne of the Most High. Satan wants to replace God. I can't even imagine how despicable a man has to be to build demon altars in both courts of the Lord's house. So this is like an ecumenical worship thing, okay? All the demon gods, are. this is a common, he would have presented it in his, his day as a common worship center. That's how it would have been presented. Very politically correct. But you know what? God's house is God's house. He burned his sons as an offering. What kind of a man burns his sons alive? Well, what kind of a man does this? In the valley of the son of Hinnom, and he used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and wizards. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And he carved, and the carved image of the idol that he made, he set in the house of God. Of which David, of which God said to David and Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. So he built an idol in God's house. I will no more remove the foot of Israel from the land I appointed to your fathers, if only they will be careful to do all that I commanded them, all the law and the statutes and the rules given through Moses. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Leaders lead into sin. This is why it's so important who you follow and who you listen to. You know, I sat down with a family one time and the husband had gotten into the clubs and he was messing around with girls and he was drinking and he was drunk a lot. And it was a pastor who led them into the thing. It was a pastor who took him into the clubs and said, let's have a good time. He watched the pastor have girls sit on his lap, the, the drink girls. He, he watched the pastor drink alcohol and get drunk. So he did too. See, leaders lead. This is why it's, it's more important how a person lives their life than even how they preach. Think about that one.
the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So God spoke, ignored. Now, this is not the only time we see God's people ignoring God. You see it also in the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to go over here. If you weren't with me this morning, I'd open it up in the Proverbs that because you ignored me, I will ignore you. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers when he was in distress. Brothers and sisters, don't wait for distress. (laughs) Please. It's wonderful to be a good repenter, It's better to, by grace, live right. Let me say that again. It's wonderful to be a good repenter, but it's a lot less painful to, by his grace, live right. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. How did Manasseh know that the Lord is God? Forgiveness. Forgiveness and restoration. Afterward, he built an outer wall for the city of David, west of Gihon in the valley, and for the entrance into the fish gate, and carried it around Ophel and raised it to a very great height. He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord. Wonderful! And all the altars he had built on the mountain. Okay, so repentance shown by actions. You know, and I wonder how he felt as he removed that idol, and as he removed the demon gods, and he removed the demon altars from the house of God. I wonder how he felt as he removed them. I wonder if he ever thought the thought, you know, if I would have never done this, I would have never gone through all this pain. You know, sometimes I call this the road back. Well, if I can get my pen to work. There we go. Have you ever thought how the prodigal son felt? Because he had to leave the pig pen and walk back through all those cities that he had lived with the wild life. All the debauchery, all the drunkenness, all the parties with his friends. He had to walk back and look at all those places. And now he's in poverty and he's hungry and his clothes are a mess. Sometimes the road back is a great reminder. You see, God could just bring you right back. But sometimes the road back is what makes sure that you never pass that way again. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. All right, so... Right God ah, Right God Wrong place. So these people are what we call partial obedient. 
and they're partially obedient because they want convenience. They don't want to go to Jerusalem. They don't want to go up to the house of God. They want to do it right where they are. They, they say, yes, we'll offer the sacrifices to God, but we want the convenience that we had with our demon gods. <laughs> we want the convenience that we have with our demon gods. Remember everything I taught you with Jeroboam. So because Manasseh had led the people into this convenient worship of demon gods, they said, all right, now we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of the demon gods and we'll worship the real God, but we still want our convenience. So this is partial obedience because of convenience. The rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And his prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty and all his sin and faithlessness and the sites on which he built high places and set up the ashram and the images before he humbled himself, not after Behold, they are written in the chronicles of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his house, and Amnon his son reigned in his place. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.